0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. John chapter four, verses seven through 14.
1: First John four, seven. Beloved. has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world.
0: Well, good morning. Thank you, uh, uh, Galen for reading and the worship team for leading us. Uh, this morning we um, have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, so just so you can be prepared for that. Um, if you are here in the room, we, we use these little cups. At least we have been during the kind of the, post, the pandemic era here, uh, and so uh, we'll use these later. Hopefully, you got one when you came in. If you did not, we'll be bringing one to you when we get to that part of the service. If you're worshiping with us at home, we encourage you to participate as well in uh, in the Lord's Supper. You know, and I've been meaning to say every month I forget to say it. We can bring you these little cups if you're worshiping with us at home, uh, and you're within 10 or 15 miles. I'm not driving to Houston, but if you're. Uh, <laughs> If you're in the area and uh, would like, I could bring you some of these, we'd be happy to do that. But your crackers and juice or, or whatever you use at home is also just as good in the Lord's eyes. And we do encourage you to, to join with us at, with, uh, with communion from home. Uh, we will be uh, in the text you just heard a moment ago, so let's ask for the Lord's help with it, and then we'll get right into it. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. It is, it is good and right to be your people, to be gathered, uh, and uh, we're just grateful we're grateful to 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 be your sons and daughters which is a big part of this text this morning and so we would just ask for your help now there's um this is this is a hard passage in some ways for us to understand it's a hard passage for me to communicate i feel especially frail this morning and so i pray that you will use uh use me uh, a mere human to proclaim the eternal timeless unchanging uh, everlasting word of god in a way that that we together can understand it and and live more like Jesus and closer to Jesus as a result. That's our prayer this morning. We ask it in his glorious name. Amen. <clears throat> There's something about the human mind that likes to know the reason for things. We, we just need to know uh, the reason for things. It starts when we're young. It's why children are always asking why. Why is the sky blue? Why do I have to take a nap? Why can't I have a snack before dinner? Uh, why, why, why? And it doesn't stop when we get older. The question doesn't go away. It just gets harder. Uh, Why do good people suffer? Why did Russia have to invade Ukraine? Why is inflation so high? All these questions, they they just keep rattling around in our brains, and, and it never stops. A lot of us spend a lot of time asking why. That need, that need to know the reason for things, helps us understand where this passage, the passage we're looking at this morning, fits in First John. So we're studying together through First John, and, and I think this passage has a particular function. See, John's already told us several times in this letter that we're supposed to love one another.? Right? It's one of the big themes in this letter. We've talked about that. Christians must love one another. In fact, I count at least seven times in the first three chapters, we're in chapter four now, but there's at least seven times in the first three chapters where we're told directly or indirectly that we're supposed to love one another. And he's going to do it two more times today, two more times in this passage. He's going to tell us to love one another. But John's not just repeating himself. I don't mean to give you the impression he's just, you know, he's run out of things to say, so he's just saying the same thing over and over again. That is not what's going on at all. No, he adds something in today's passage to the command to love one another, and what he he adds is an explanation. He's going to tell us why. He isn't. I don't. He maybe hinted at it up to this point, but now he comes out and he tells us why it's so important for you and I to love one another. And it's not a pragmatic reason. It's not because it maintains unity or because it makes us look good. It's none of these kinds of things. The reason we're supposed to love one another is that God loves us. That's what he's going to connect it to, and and I think that's the main lesson of this passage. We're supposed to love one another because God loves us. But it's not as simple as that. John's going to actually take us deeper into that. There's another part to the, to the formula here, if I can call it that. And it's that, and where it comes from is that John wants us to understand, and more importantly, God, speaking through John, wants us to understand that God's love for us is unconditional. Right? It's unconditional. There are no conditions or, or uh, reasons. Ah, reasons is the wrong word. There's, there's no conditions. We're going to stick with that one. There's no conditions to God's love for us. And this is important. We have to understand this. We have to understand it because most of our love is conditional. As human beings, when we start talking about loving things or or sometimes even, sadly, people, sometimes a lot of times our love is a conditional sort of love. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean that our love is conditional and we're going to see in this text that God's love is unconditional? Uh, Let me give you a trivial example, what I mean by conditional love. 15 years ago, 15 years ago, if you had asked me my favorite ice cream, I would have told you Ben & Jerry's. I love, in fact, I would have said, I love Ben & Jerry's. Now remember, I came from New England. I'd pastored in Connecticut for 10 years. Uh, we were like two hours away from the original Ben & Jerry's store. Laura and I visited it, uh, I mean, I, and, and it was good stuff. I loved Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Right? In fact, I would have said uh, chocolate chip cookie dough. That, 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 you know, I, really, I love Ben and Jerry's uh, chocolate chip cookie dough however that has changed it changed my love was conditional for that ice cream uh, we moved to Iowa and we found two things one we found Ben and Jerry's was hard to find it's, there's not nearly as much of it out here uh, and the other thing we found is that the stores mostly sold a brand called Blue Bunny Blue Bunny now I'm going to be honest with you I was a little suspicious of the bunny at first <laughs> i really was they don't have blue bunny on the east coast never saw it in my life and now i'm like bunny what do you what b- rabbits don't make ice cream what are you talking about I, I still don't understand where they get the name from but you know what that stuff is good that's what i I actually found it. i actually really like the blue bunny brand of ice cream and it's a lot more affordable so so now when i go to the store if i buy ice cream we don't do it a lot but if i do i'm gonna buy blue bunny I'm not going to buy Ben and & Jerry's. And then you add on top of that, Ben & Jerry's the last few years, they kind of got political and social, and they started advocating things I really don't agree with. And I'm not telling you to boycott. I'm not saying you have to boycott Ben & Jerry's. but That's kind of where I'm at these days. And so I don't love them anymore. Now, the point is, that's what human love is like. right? It's like my, my uh, disaffection with, with Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Human love is is like that. Whether it's something important, we've all sadly seen this, right? We've seen marriage relationships where, what do they say? I just don't love her anymore. I just don't love him anymore. He's changed. She's changed. It's not like it used to be. That's conditional love. That's how our love is. Whether it's something like that or something trivial like what ice cream you buy, human love is often this kind of conditional, it depends on what you do, it depends on who you are, it depends on how you behave, whether I'll love you or not. That's how our love often is. I say all that to say this. This passage, John wants us to know God's love is not like that. So when we're talking about the love of God, God's love is not like that. His love is not based on what we do. His love is based on his own unchanging character. That's what John's going to say to us here. He says it in verse 8. He'll say it later in, uh, I think it's verse 17. We'll look at it next week. Uh, God is love. God is love, he says there in verse 8 which means the other part of this uh, formulation here, we should love one another because God loves us, and God loves us because God is love. His love for us comes from, it's not because we're so adorable down here, his love comes from his own unchanging character. And so that's what we're going to talk about in the time we have this morning. What I want to do is, as we approach these verses is I want to break them out uh, into two reasons. And this kind of a my broad, this is my broadest outline. We're going to talk on pull in a few other things as we're looking at this. But this I see this section verses seven through fourteen as being about the the reason we're supposed to love one another being rooted in in God's unchanging character, the fact that God is love, and it kind of teases out into two reasons we're supposed to love one another. So and they both come back to God's character who. He is so. Uh, look in that passage, please. If you got your Bible or a Bible app open to 1 John chapter four, and let's answer this question: Why should we love one another? What does that have to do with God's character? Well, the first answer to the question, uh, "Why should we love one another?" John tells us is that God is the source of love. It has to do with God being the source of love. And so, when John says uh, God is love, he's telling us, for one thing, God is the source of love. It comes from Him. And so, you know, again, if you asked uh, somebody else, you know, where does love come from? They might say it's the poets, right? Or it's hormones, you know, there's a biological basis for love. Or there's a social basis for love. It's a, a thing that kind of evolved in human beings so that they would learn to be cooperative and hunt the mammoth together, right? I mean, there's all kinds of ideas where love comes from. John says, no, it's none of that. Love comes from God. God himself is the source of love. And and this is where it gets practical now, because John's going to take that that statement about God and he's going to connect it to you and me loving each other. And what he's going to say is that our love for one another shows that we belong to God. So if he's the source of love, our love for him, or or excuse me, our love for each other shows that we're his children. We belong to him. So look at verse 7. Let me show you where it says all this. All right, let me try to, to, to defend what I'm saying here. John begins, he says, Beloved, and a ter- term of endearment, he's used it several times in this letter, it's like pulling us, pulling us close, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. So there it is, I told you, that, you know, there's, there's time number eight we've been told to love one another, God wants us to love one another, he says, it's a major theme of the letter. This time though, he gives us a reason, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for, That's a, that, that word tells us, here comes an explanation. You could even translate it because. Let us love one another for, or because love is from God. We should love one another because love comes from him. That's what he says. Then he keeps going. He's got more to say on that. He says, because love is from God, whoever loves... So here he's making the connection. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So beloved, let us love one another for love comes from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's verse, uh, verse seven. So he's the source, love comes from him. And the way uh, when, when we love, <clears throat> with the love that comes from him, we're showing our connection to him because it comes from him. So if we love, we're showing that we're connected to him. And he describes this in terms of the, the children language, the family language he's been using all throughout the letter. And so we, he says, it shows we've been born of God. We've been born of God. That is, we're His children. He's already talked like this earlier in the letter. We're His children. We're born of Him. Uh, That's why we talk about each other as brothers and sisters, right? This is why uh, Christians use that terminology. We are, you know, we, you know, brothers and sisters. Sometimes people will actually call it that. Sometimes we'll just we'll use that language. Uh, It's not a relational fiction. Right? It's not just a story we tell ourselves so that we're all nicer to each other. The scriptures say it is a spiritual reality. Right? Physically, you, you've got your other siblings or not if you're an only child, but, but spiritually, spiritually we, we really are brothers and sisters. What, make, you know, what, what, what makes siblings siblings? They have the same parents. We have the same parent. We have the same father. Uh, and that makes us brothers and sisters, John says. And so our love for one another shows that. It shows we're part of the family. It also shows that we know God. That's the second part of what he says there in verse 7, if you look at your text. And that knowing God, it's, again, it's family context. He's connecting it with this idea of being God's children. And so not only are we his children, but we're in a good relationship. That's what the know there is. So we're not estranged from our father, uh, the word know, very often in Scripture, uh, it it doesn't mean only a cognitive, a, a mental knowledge of something. It also means um, a, a a relational, emotive kind of an engagement. And so, when he says, "And we know God," so if we love one another, it shows that we know God. It's showing that we're we're not only is he our Father, but we're in a, in relationship with our Father. We're not alienated from him. We're now in a relationship with him. Verse 8, I think it's important to understand the text, because all of this is, I was listening to Galen read it, and of course I've been looking at this text all week, I'm like, it sounds like a bunch of riddles sometimes, the way John writes. So let's unpack the riddles. Uh, What verse 8 does is it says the same thing as verse 7, he just flips it in the negative. And so verse 7 says, when we love one another, that shows we know God. What does verse 8 say? When we don't love one another, that shows we don't know God. We're not in a right relationship with Him. And if we scratch our heads and say, "Well, how do you make that connection, John? Why does loving my brother and sister in Christ? What has that got to do with knowing God?" Well, he says, "Anyone who doesn't, uh, anyone who does not love, doesn't know God." Well, because God is love. You know, he's the, he's the source of love. In fact, he is love. The reason he's the source of love is that he is love. And so, if we reject i'm just piecing we're, we're tracing john's reasoning here if we reject the command to love one another we're not just rejecting one another we're rejecting god because god is love and, and so to say there's there's no way i'm going to be nice to that person right? she, she's just so tiresome he's such a bore i'm just not going to be nice or, or i'll never forgive her for what she did to me I will never forget how much he hurt me and never in a thousand years, I'll never forget. If he was drowning, I'd throw him a brick instead of a rope. If that's our attitude, if that's how we feel about somebody, if we're not even trying to get in there and and, and work on forgiveness with that person, then we're not just rejecting that person, we're rejecting God. Why? Because God is love. And so if we reject love, we're rejecting God. That's how he, he takes us through this. So the first two verses here this, you know, asserting in asserting that God is the source of love and showing this connection that, and, and explaining how it shows that we're connected to God, what he's doing is he's pushing us. He, he's pushing us to examine ourselves, to examine our attitudes, our actions, and and it's a high stakes sort of an examination too. Right? It, it really is. It really makes us or. or uh, examine our hearts because he's giving us a little bit of a litmus test here all right and and the test is if we're obeying the command to love now not perfectly we've talked about that back in chapter two um none of us is going to be perfect right that's why it's so important to have a a provision for for forgiveness where none of us are going to be perfect but if we embrace the command and say yeah i'm going with that and by the whole power of the holy spirit i'm going to i'm going to that's what i'm going to pursue so if we're obeying the command to love then our obedience is evidence that we're living the way god's children live and the opposite is also true if we're disobeying the command well then that shows we're rejecting we're we're rejecting our disobedience is a a evidence it's evidence that we're rejecting the lord now the next two verses nine and ten we're still talking under this umbrella of the source of of love but what these two verses do is they show us how we know so john has asserted uh, he's just stated in verses seven and eight that God is love, and he's the source of love, but he hasn't told us yet how we know what kind of love it is we're talking about, what the proof of God's love is for us, and, and he's going to tell us in verses 9 and 10, and he's not going to, he's going to go specific, right, he's not going to go to, you know, where some of the psalms go and say, well, he sends us the rain, that shows us God's love and God's care. That's true, the, the rain, you know, wasn't that some nice rain yesterday? We probably use more, but uh, you know, that, that's, that's part of God's love, but that's not the one John goes to here. Look at uh, Look at verses 9 and 10. Here's how we know he loves us. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Here's how we know among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We'll stop there for now. So verses 7 and 8 say that God loves us. He's the source of love. Verse 9 says, here's how he shows us. Here's how we, we see. The ultimate expression, the ultimate manifestation of God's love is this. And he says, in this, and it's the thing that's about to come. It, in this, the thing he's about to say, here's how we know God loves us. He sent his only son into the world. That, that's how John explains it. It, it. That should sound a little familiar, because you know what that is? It's John three sixteen with different words. It's the same thing. It's the same basic concept. Uh, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. And when it says that, sometimes a lot of our English translations struggle to bring out what this is actually saying. When it says, for God so loved the world, it's not like he loved it so much. Uh, he does love it so much, right? And which is why that translation isn't wrong. But technically what those words are saying, it, it's very similar to this passage here in 1 John. For, for God so loved... This is how God loved, is what John 3.16 says. Here's how God loved the world. He sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes on him uh, shall, shall, ha- shall not perish and shall have eternal life. Right? That, that, that's what that's saying. It's very similar here in verses 9 and 10. God sent his son into the world to give us life so that we uh, can, ha- can live through, through him, through what Jesus did for us. That's how we know uh, he loves us. That's what we know. How, how, that's the proof. That's the evidence of his love for us. And it's not emphasized in this text, but I, I do think it's important to say, just so we all understand it, the Son was in full agreement. All right, so, so John's emphasizing here the Father sending, but the Son willingly came. The Son was willingly sent. Uh, our, our doctrinally, we would say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit agreed together to do what needed to be done to save us. So the Father sent, but the Son Uh, came willingly. And he did this to give us life. John doesn't call it eternal life here, but he does six other times in this letter. When he talks about life, he's talking about eternal life. And so what's he saying? He's saying, how how do we know if God loves us? How do we know that God loves us? What kind of love are we talking about when we say that God is the source of love? Well, it's this kind of love. Jesus came for us to die for us on the cross so that we might live through him. Jesus died for us that we might live uh, with him, for him, unto him, for all eternity. That's what he spells out in verse 9. Now, verse 10, it's interesting if you're kind of tracing through his words here. Verse 10 says the same thing as verse 9, only amplified. Uh, I had a couple of different commentaries that pointed out basically 10 is verse 9. Verse 10 is verse 9. He just kind of, he expands it a little bit. So verse 10, he says, and this is love, not that we loved God, so this is an important one to remember. Uh, this wasn't my idea. It wasn't your idea. Right? We weren't sitting there in the mud of our sin and we're like, I think I'll love God instead. No, we, we much preferred the mud of our sin. That's, that's how we were because of our fallenness, because of our sin. But no, he loved. This is love. Not that we loved God. We didn't start it, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the, and then he uses this technical word, propitiation. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now we looked at this word a few weeks ago. It's used two times in John. It's only used four times in the whole New Testament. Two of them are in 1 John. Uh, he used it back in chapter 2, verse 2, and we said then that a propitiation is a... Actually, actually the word is used a lot in the Old Testament because it's, it's, a, it's a technical term for a sacrifice that specifically deals with sin. So it's a sacrifice that deals with the effects of and the, the shame and the alienation and the whole problem of sin. A propitiation is a sacrifice that deals with that. And that's, so what does verse 10 do? Verse 10 adds to verse 9. Uh, verse 9 says Jesus came so that we could live through him. Verse 10 tells us how it is we live through him. He dealt with our sin. And so God sent his son into the world to be a sacrifice. He sacrificed himself. God sacrificed himself so that our sins can be forgiven so that's wonderful we're going to celebrate that when we get around the table a little later when we celebrate the the lord's supper but in its context of the command to love one another here's what he's saying he's saying that's the kind of love i'm talking about right so when john says love comes from love one another because love comes from god what kind of love do you mean john i mean the love that gives itself away Love one another with a love that gives itself away for the good of other people. So that's the takeaway for you and me on this first reason. All right, so lots of rich theology there about God and his character and how much he loves us and how we know that he loves us. Wonderful stuff that transforms our lives. And that's exactly the point. Because it's transforming our lives, here's what comes out. You and I love that way. Now, that's what we're called to do. When we love that way, when we give ourselves away for the good of other people, we're loving the way our Father loves we're we're loving the way he loves and that circles back to verse seven which is why i think all these these first four verses are connected really he's all he's done in verses nine and ten has taken us back to verse seven whoever loves has been born of god uh, and knows god we're his kids we're his children so why do we love one another we love one another because that's what that's what we do in this family that's what god's kids do it's it's one of his family values Uh, every family has values mine does yours does families have different values One of this family's values is that our Father loves us, and therefore we love one another. So that's reason number one. God is the source of love, and we love one another because of that. And flowing out of that, our love for one another shows our connection to him. And that brings us to the other half of the text, the second reason we should love one another. And the second reason he's going to develop for us is that God is also the definition of love. So he's not just, it's not just that love comes from him. He, 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 he shows us what it means. And I actually began to get into that, kind of had to with 9 and 10, but now we, we develop it more in this paragraph. So love is defined by God. Pick up in, uh, in verse 11. So he, he calls us beloved again. And that's actually one of the reasons I think we're starting a new idea. John uses these words, beloved, little children. He uses them almost like punctuation marks sometimes in the way he writes. And so he starts a, another idea. And again, it's, it's all in a context of love and, and, and uh, affection. Uh, God's for us and then his for his church. He says, uh, beloved, if God so loved us. Now let me stop there for a minute. You're looking at your text, right? You've got it open in front of you. There's your text. If God so loved us, those words are like a finger pointing backward to what he just said. Right? So if God so loved us, what do you mean, John? Oh, I mean verses 9 and 10. He means that. Right? He, he means the cross. If God so loved us, if that's how God loved us, then he draws a conclusion from that. Then we should love one another. Again, it's, he doesn't, you know, if God so loved us, we should feel really good about ourselves. You, you can get that from other passages, but it's not here. Here, if God so loved us, if God did that for us, well, then we better love one another. That's the conclusion he draws. So there's that command again. I told you that the command to love one another occurs two more times in today's relatively short passage. So we're up to nine now, if my count is right, in the whole letter. Uh, the difference this time, the difference in verse 11 versus the one in verse 11 is that this time he is rooting it directly in the cross. So again, we were talking about it already from verses 7 through 11, but now he's, like I said, it's like a finger pointing. If, if, if God did that for us, then we should love one another. That's what he says there in verse 11. And so what this does for us is we're, we're again, we're wrestling with this, we're trying to figure out what does it look like for, for Christians to love one another. What it does is it makes nothing less than the cross you know, Here we are, first Sunday of Lent. Hopefully we'll be all you know, thinking about the, the cross more as we get closer in to, to Good Friday and then to Easter. Uh, what this does here, what John does, is he makes the cross itself the template for Christian love. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to die on crosses for each other. That, that wouldn't accomplish anything. We don't, humans don't do that anymore, thankfully. Uh, but what, what it's saying, what it means, is that we're going to sacrifice ourselves in all sorts of ways, big ways, little ways, day in and day out, as demonstrations of the love of God toward one another. And that's what he gets into in verse 12. Uh, and verse 12 actually gives us the other, hand, the other uh, side of the tangible part of this, right? So God is the definition of love. So, so what is, how, where is he going to go with that in terms of you and I loving each other? Or where he's going to go with that is that, God is, yes, God is the definition of love, but you and I's job, our job, is to make that love visible in the world. Our job is to make that love visible in the world. And maybe I should have said the church specifically because it's true that it applies to the world. But his context is mostly within Christian relationships in this letter. And so when we love one another, we take that love that is God and we show it to each other. We manifest it in the world around us. So he says, uh, and, and let me show you where he says this. So verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God. Right, so, so it helps to reread verse 11, too, to get the flow. Uh, let us, uh, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then you say, this feels almost like a non sequitur. What, what's the connection, John? Uh, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Why does he say that? Here's why he said it. We have a problem. We have a problem that he identifies there at the beginning of verse 12. That's why he says it. He's identifying, he's he's putting his finger on a problem. The problem is that we believe in God. That's why we're here. That's why his, his folks were reading that letter, right? If they didn't believe, they weren't listening to this letter. If you didn't believe, you wouldn't be here today. And so the problem is we, we believe in God, but we can't see him. We can't see him. Not now, anyway, not yet. We will. We will see him, right? Paul tells us so. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Can't see very much, he says. Uh, and their mirrors weren't anywhere like our mirrors. They're kind of hazy and fuzzy. Now we see dimly in a mirror, but then in heaven, when I get there, when he comes back, then we shall see face to face. So we'll see him. We will see God. When he says no one has ever seen God, he's not talking about the permanent state of affairs forever. He's talking about right now for them. And for us, no one, we we don't see God. Even Moses didn't see God. God, remember that whole scene? If you don't remember it, that's fine. But, you know, Moses asks for the special privilege of seeing God. So God says, okay, he he says, you got to hide in that rock. You got to turn your back. I'm going to cover you with my hand and then I'll go by and you can see my back. That's as close as any human being ever gets. No one can see God, John says. But God's got a solution. He's got a solution for this. And and you're you're probably thinking incarnation right now. You're thinking Jesus. And that's true. We we see God in Jesus in in, in the incarnation. But that's not where John's going to go with it here. No one has ever seen God. And I think you ought to put the English word but in here. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love, so you can't see him, but his love abides in us and is perfected in us. So that's the solution for now. It's like, oh, I want to see God. I want to know that God loves me. Get involved in your church and start loving the other brothers and sisters and receiving their love from him. That's how we know God loves us. We make God's love. So so what's he saying? He's saying we we can't see God directly, beginning of the verse, but we see God's love expressed in and through God's people. We make his love visible to one another. This is what he's talking about when he says perfected. So his love is perfected in us. We actually, uh, again, that's a hard word for us in English, because when we hear perfect, we think flawless. Right? You take an exam, you get all the answers right, it's a perfect score, it's 100, or however they want to do it, uh, and if you only get, you know, if you get two wrong and you only get a 96, it's not a perfect score. Right? You didn't get a perfect score. For us, a lot of times we think of perfect as flawless, but that's not what this Greek word means in most, ca- in most cases. And We talked about this a few weeks ago, because this is like the second or third time he's used this word in the letter. Uh, the word means complete. It means complete or fulfilled. It, and, and so it's, it's not in that sense flawless. Rather, it's the sense of completing. So what he's saying here is that when we love one another, we're, we're filling in the process, right? So, so God loves us. We're the objects of his love, right? Look at the cross if you have any doubts about that. He loves us, but we're not done yet. It's not perfected. It's not completed. There's something he now expects us to do with that love, He he expects us to express it. He expects expects us to share it in our our actions and our attitudes with one another. And when we do, so he loves us, we love each other. That closes the loop, closes the circuit if you prefer, and it's completed. And so that's the sense in which when we love one another in in the church and and other brothers and sisters in Christ, we're completing his love. And That's what that word of perfected means. all of that means this. It means that God's love isn't something we're supposed to just receive and keep to ourselves. His love is something we're supposed to receive and then give away. We receive and give it away. Our job is to make His love visible to uh, one another, to express it and all those things, and really, at this point, you kind of you veer into the broad road of of, uh, of, of the whole Christian experience of how you know the, a lot of these other things we talk about. And so, uh, you know, how do we express God's love to one another? It's words of encouragement, words of forgiveness, words of grace. It's acts of mercy. It's it's uh, sharing hope and peace and and comfort and helping. You know, physical provision. He talked about that a little earlier in chapter three. You know, helping one another when there's needs. All of those come under this umbrella here. All of these are instances where we're making His love visible in the world by choosing to love one another. It's a little bit of a cliche, but it's true. Many cliches are, uh, we really are His hands and feet. We really are God's hands and feet in the world, and His mouth, and His arms, and His ears, and His pocketbook, and whatever else is needed in that instance. We we really are. That's what this is teaching. <clears throat> now, if you think about all that, one one more Thing we have to bring into this. If you think about all of what we just said, that is a big responsibility. And in fact, I think you feel it. There's almost like a little bit of a, even though it's such positive stuff we're talking about, a little bit of a sense of, of soberness uh, right now. You're like, well, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a tall order. <clears throat> that guy just said that we are responsible for showing one another the love of God. That, that seems to be what we're saying here. And that, yes, that is what we're saying. And, you know, so, but I thought Jesus showed us the love of God. Yes, John talked about that in verses 9 and 10. Jesus went first. All right, think of the cross. Jesus went first. But Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's done in the meantime until he comes back? He's delegated it to us. That's what John says. Jesus has delegated to us in, call it the church age, if you like. He's delegated to us the responsibility of making his love visible to one another. So that's a big responsibility. I feel it, you probably feel it too. And the question I find myself asking is how? How am I supposed to do that? How, am I gonna, how are we going to love one another? I think that's where verses 13 and 14 come in. Again, understanding reasons, understanding how things work. Uh, let's read those two verses. <clears throat> John writes, i was going to say at this point so my bible starts a new paragraph here and uh when uh you know when when galen read this morning beforehand she said are you sure you had to cut off in the right place (laughs) yeah i know i know um if you i checked let me say it this way this part of john it's a little tricky to say to see where one idea leaves off and another one picks up i looked at four different commentaries this week all good ones solid ones that i trust All four of them had the passage breaking in a different place. Even these four commentators, biblical, evangelical commentators, couldn't agree where the break is. Um, I think the break is at verse 14, and it's not a new paragraph. So my Bible starts a new paragraph, maybe yours does too, but I think it's directly connected to verse 12. He says, by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that's how we do it. So we have this question. How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to have his love completed in us and the way we treat one another? It's by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It's verse 13. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He, he abides in us. And he, it's another favorite word for John. It's the same word Jesus uses in John 15. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. It's that, it's that word. So the Holy Spirit stays in us. He lives in us. And we stay in him. We're, we're trusting in him. That's verse 13. That, John says, is the basis for our testimony. Verse 14. See where he talks about a testimony? But what kind of testimony is he talking about? He's not talking about your your testimony of faith and how you came to know Jesus. Context, the testimony he's talking about is our love for one another. It's the testimony to what he says. The testimony to the Father sent his Son into the world, which is the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, verse 14. He just talked about that two or three verses before, and he used it as the ultimate example of what God's love is like. So our testimony is the testimony of God's love. How, do we, how are we going to do this? How are we going to testify to each other about God's love? How am I going to tell you God loves you? Where's my strength going to come from? Verse 13, it's going to come from the Holy Spirit who lives within me. That's the key to this. We don't do it from our own capacity to love. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not a very loving person left to my own devices. Maybe you are. I'm not. But that's a good thing for all of us because uh, my ability to do this doesn't depend on my own capacity to love. It depends on the love and power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. That's his point in verse 13. Uh, The other day I was... um, I actually wasn't working on my sermon. I was working on something else. I I was flipping through a book that I read several years ago, and it has to do with a project I'm working on uh, with a a committee here in the church. It was actually a book about church health. It was a, a book about church health, and I was paging through it and had lots of pictures. It was kind of a fun book that way, lots of pictures and illustrations. And I, I uh, there was one picture that caught my eye and I said, ooh, that fits my sermon this week. That's exactly what we're gonna be talking about toward the end. And so uh, I wanna show this to you. It's not what the book was talking about, but it's a great picture of what I wanna say here in verses 13 and 14. So here's the picture. And what you have here in this picture is you have two men. And these two men are trying to move a cart. And I don't know where their horse is. They don't seem to have a horse. And so these two guys, one of them's pulling, the other one's pushing. And you can see They're struggling. It's hard for these men to move this cart. And the reason it's hard is that the wheels are square. Right? I mean, how absurd. They're trying to to move a cart with square wheels. And square wheels don't roll, right? So that cart's not going to move very well. So they have this problem. They're struggling to move the cart. But then look at what's inside the cart. It's wheels, right? It's wheels, a whole bunch of round wheels. And the point of the picture and the point the author was making related to something else is that they have what they need, right? It's right there in the cart. They have what they need, but they weren't using it. They have what they need, but they're not using it. And that's why they're struggling. That's the point of that silly little picture. But it's a good picture because it's a picture of why we struggle with this command. You know? And here we are. What did I say? Number eight or number nine, however many it is in the letter. He keeps telling us to love one another and we're feeling you know, that it's, it's a struggle But it's a struggle because we're trying to move the cart with our own square wheels. Uh, Or to say it more plainly, we're trying to love one another out of the resources of our own human love, our own human love. It's not supposed to be that way. That's what verses 13 and 14 and really the whole book, I think, is telling us. It's, It's not supposed to be rooted in our own love. It's supposed to be rooted in what we have inside of us. According to John, we already have everything we need to be able to carry out this command to love one one another. We have God's love. He's the definition. He's the source. God is love. And now his love abides in us. And and he loves us. Oh, how do I know if he really loves me? Look to the cross. He poured himself out for us. He poured his love out for us on the cross. Now he pours his love into us through the indwelling, abiding presence of of the Holy Spirit within us. And so we, we have all of these resources, right? We have all these, these uh, resources of God's love in the cart. Now what we got to do is take them out, right? We got we to let them come out. And so we, we don't, when, this, when we see this command in this book and really anywhere in the scripture, it's not saying that you and I have to rely on our own frail, tepid, conditional love. He's saying we get to love one another with God's self-giving, Christ-centered, unconditional love. That's what John's telling us here. We're going to celebrate the Lord's supper in just a few minutes, but uh, before we come to the table, I want to do one more thing. I want to take you to the book of Romans. I need a little Paul at this point. I don't know about you. I need a little Paul. And uh, I was I was working through this passage this week and, and just trying to make connections. I actually saw one scholar who suggested that this passage, this part of John is actually John's version of 1 Corinthians 13. Interesting, right? We always think of First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and Paul tells us what love is. That's what John's doing here in First John chapter 4. He's telling us what love is. It's an interesting suggestion. But uh, I actually found myself thinking about Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Because yes, John talks a lot about love, but so does Paul. And Romans 8 is, is one of Paul's most beautiful passages. Uh, just subjectively saying that. It's one of his most beautiful passages describing God's love. And and so, what I want to do is, I want us to prepare our hearts for the table, to prepare our hearts to 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 share the bread and the and the juice together, by listening to what how how Paul describes this love. So we've talked about love, you know, God is love; He's the source of love; He's the definition of love. Paul does a wondrous job here in Romans chapter eight, spelling out what some of that means to us. So I'm just going to read these verses. And we're going to listen to them together, and then I'm going to, we're, going to, we're going to pray together and, and go to the table. So would you uh, listen and then pray with me? Paul writes, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He says, What then shall we say to these things? And he gestures back to eight and a half chapters of wondrous doctrine about what God has done for us in Christ. John's talked about it too. What then shall we say to all these things? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If If there's charges against you ringing in your head as we come to the table this morning, who can bring a charge against you? God has justified you. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us? Here comes the love. Given all that Jesus has done for us and his love for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or na- nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's where the conquering comes from. That's where the victory is. It's through him who loved us. For I am certain that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you pray with me please? Lord, we thank you for that truth right there, that nothing can separate us from your love. Uh, You are love. Love comes from you. You define love. You show us what love is and and it just it emanates from you. You are love. There's no way better way to say it than how John said it. You are love. And you promise to never leave us and so there's nothing that can separate us from you. Not even our sin, Lord. Ultimately not even our sin. Yes, it it, it introduces awkwardness into the relationship and we need to confess but not even our sin can separate us from your love. And so we uh, praise you for that, we thank you for that, we cling to that, Uh, the life and the hope and the peace that comes from that uh, unchanging uh, understanding, that unchanging transformation you've done by, by sealing us to yourself and sealing us in your love. Lord, we do confess our sin as we come to the table if there is anything that uh, we have done that is uh, shameful or um, offensive in your sight, would you please bring that to mind right now? Not the stuff that's already been forgiven, but just anything that we, uh, that we have harbored in the last few days or weeks or whatever that we have not confessed to you, would you please bring that to mind even now in these few moments of silence that we might confess that, be done with it, receive that forgiveness that's talked about earlier in First John. We thank you jesus we thank you father we thank you spirit for the promise of verse nine in chapter one that if we confess our sins even as we've just done you are faithful and just to forgive us those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we stand on that we prize that we cherish that we love you because you first loved us as we come to your table now exalt christ glorify him in our hearts and it's in his name we pray amen